1: You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network.
0: Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia f one pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay.
2: Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One racing. And I'm hoping, much unlike the Singapore Grand Prix last weekend, that this podcast will make it through the first corner. And to help me (laughs) do that is, well, the somewhat amused Kevin Laramie. Well, Kevin, do you think we can pull this one off or are we going to take each other out and basically score an own goal like Ferrari did there?
1: Hey, I'm going straight. I'm minding my own business. (laughs) I'm not doing anything I'm not supposed to. Why are you putting me in the Walmart? Why are you putting me (laughs) out of the race? Uh, Let's start there, right? What a terrible first
2: few meters for Ferrari. It was. And after you had... Well let's let's basically backtrack I mean going into Singapore we don't even need to talk about qualifying or the race right now it just looked like even when they got there that they were on their front foot it looked like it was going to be the perfect track to suit Ferrari you go through the qualifying and and Mercedes just could not match the the pace of them it looked like obviously the only guy that was going to do so was going to be Max Verstappen who of course put himself between Kimi Raikkonen and Sebastian Vettel and it was all over once the the, the race actually started. Lewis Hamilton was way back, and it looked like with Sebastian Vettel on pole and Lewis Hamilton back in, what was it, sixth position now to start the race, that it was Advantage Vettel, but it was all over in the blink of an eye. Of course, it rains almost each and every day in Singapore, and it just happened to rain before the start of the race, so we started under wet conditions, and there was a bit of debate, Crofty and Martin Brundle, were talking on Sky Sports, as they did the formation lap, whether or not, it would be a good idea to have a standing start or whether or not they should start behind the safety car. Anyways, it's all a moot point now because they had the normal standing start. Everybody started on either intermediates or full wet tires. And a couple of guys had some extremely good starts. Max Verstappen was one of them. Kimi Raikkonen had an even better start, but Sebastian Vettel had a so-so start, but not quite as good as some of the guys behind him, moved over to cover off Max Verstappen. Meanwhile, his teammate Kimi Raikkonen snuck up the inside, was faster than both of them. And as Seb covered off on Verstappen, he kind of pulled pulled over and drew a little bit to the left, and the end result being Kimi Räikkönen clipped Max's left front tire with his right rear tire and then ended up T-boning his teammate, <laughs> his friend,
1: Sebastian Vettel. It continues, and then at the same time, you have Verstappen like, uh, turning and sliding away, and at the same time, Räikkönen goes back at him again, and this time takes him out for good.
2: And then and then as they continue down out of control a little bit into the first corner there, then Verstappen takes out the equally unfortunate Fernando Alonso, which leads me to the conclusion that both Max Verstappen and Fernando Alonso are cursed and are doomed to finish the least amount of number of races possible in 2017, because that was uh, disappointing. And I thought that uh, Alonso was looking pretty good there. I but thought maybe once, he should have had... Yeah. He
1: had a good car for once. It's not about the, the engine, but it's about the chassis. It's about how it handles in those 23 corners. And once again, DNF. Not his fault this time around. He was just uh, a bystander, but uh, collateral damage. But it's unfortunate for McLaren. They did deserve better. But Steffel uh, did a, a good performance here. But it's still, I, I, you have to feel disappointed for Alonso.
2: Well, absolutely. And I mean, uh, I felt honestly dis- disappointed for myself and uh, all the fans of Formula One, not just for for Alonso, but just the fact that Ferrari's spectacular own goal there at the start really denied, I think, everybody of what was going to be a fascinating race between uh, Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton. And uh, you had to think that even though Singapore is a very difficult place to pass, just being a little bit wet, that uh, it was going to favor guys like Bax Verstappen and maybe... Lewis Hamilton to a certain extent, and we were denied that uh, because the the top three guys were were taken out uh, before they even got to the first corner, and then almost by default it seemed to have been handed to, uh, to to Lewis Hamilton, and now it's it's a very very difficult situation for Sebastian Vettel to recover from here because. Lewis wasn't challenged after that uh, of course his teammates uh, Valtteri Bottas finished second Danny Ricardo in third which kind of makes you wonder w- why does Ricardo have so much good luck and getting all these podium finishes whereas Max Verstappen poor Max Verstappen seems to find new and different ways to not finish a Grand Prix each and every week most of which are no fault of his own and it's really becoming a depressing situation, but yeah, I mean, just going back to to Vettel though, it just it seems that with six races to go and that twenty eight point deficit that he has to Lewis Hamilton, that unless Lewis befalls some equally bad luck that happens to him in the next couple of races it seems that it's going to be a very difficult task for him to catch up to him because of course Lewis has not had any problems with reliability or mechanical failures basically all year so it's looking good for him right now
1: he had his bad luck last year so I think he's all a lot of bad luck so that means only good luck left and that was kind of explained Sunday and while we were talking, and then my screen next in my my studio I have my screen, and it's the Grand Prix playing. I I put it back in the playback, and it was a start, and it just played on a loop. So yes, you have the Vettel squeezing Verstappen, but he's not really squeezing. It's just going in front, making him like not accelerate to his full potential, which gives Kimi the opportunity to be next to him, but not just that to roll, to go way too quick, and. Verstappen has to stop to not run into Vettel because Vettel's covering his literally his front wheels, and Raikkonen jumps on the wheels of Verstappen, creates the damage, and creates the chaos that ensues. So it's a mix of Vettel making like boxing in Verstappen and making him slow down, and Kimi going in fast, having a great start but maybe a little too fast for that situation that's happening with Verstappen slowing down and Vettel making Verstappen slowing down. So it's either Vettel 100%'s fault or 70-30 Vettel and Kimi.
2: Well, definitely. I, th- I think that it's both Ferrari drivers that uh, that caused the, the 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 whole incident. Poor Max Verstappen was literally caught in between the Ferrari sandwich and couldn't do anything. He was basically along for the ride. He was just trying to keep his car going straight, and he's getting squeezed from one side by by Vettel, like you say, and then you got Kimi going around the other side, and of course, just even just clipping his uh, left front tire just the the way that he did was enough on that slick track. And it was funny, too, because when it all happened at first, I wasn't sure how much damage Vettel's car actually had, because there's just so many things going on. There's cars flying everywhere and people spinning off of the track. And then, of course, like we were just talking about, you have poor old Fernando Alonso come flying in late to the the whole party and gets taken out in the first corner proper. But then you you fast forward about ten fifteen seconds later, and the the first real uh, obvious obvious picture that you get that things are not going very well for Sebastian Vettel is when you see him going backwards down to the circuit with his no front wing, and then he uh, he does turn the car around, and then you see the damage that is uh, done to his uh, left side pod, and uh, of course I think. Once he, uh, he got out of uh, that, that tangle in the first corner, the reason why he spun out is just all the fluids that were, were coming out. And it's a shame. It, uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's a tough situation for him. And I, I don't know what Lewis Hamilton did or how hard he prayed on Saturday night, but I don't think that he could have expected a result that good. I know he said before the race that once it was raining, he knew he was going to win. But to, to have that set of circumstances unfold in front of him, I don't think even Lewis expected that.
1: No, it's unexpected. It's almost a miracle. And that's what Lewis mentioned before the race at a different outlet. I can't remember which one. But he was definitely saying, look, I'm going to need a miracle here to be able to achieve top results. And it was a godsend. Literally. What happened? Best possible scenario. Constructor-wise and driver standings-wise. He takes a stronghold on the driver title. And Mercedes finally takes a big stronghold on a constructors championship with the one three. It, it makes a big difference the fact that both Ferrari cars laid an egg, and it's terrible for this for like for for the, for the show. It's terrible for the the race that we had because it was a procession from that moment on. Yeah, of course, if you go down uh, the grid, there was some interesting move. Renault performed well, McLaren performed well, and that tells you the good chassis so Renault are actually up and coming so uh, that could be boding well for both McLaren and Renault next year Uh, but it is still for me a shame that we were robbed of a very fascinating and beautiful race under the lights let's not forget the under the lights part it's so HDTV worthy like it makes for striking images and that Lighting on the HD scale on if you have a big screen and you're watching it, it's impressive and it's it's one of my favorite races. Not necessarily because of the race part, yeah, it's interesting. It's a track with 23 corners. It's a battle for the drivers, uh, but as well, when you're watching it, it's impressive. It it's ADD approved, right? Where <laughs> there's so many, so much action, so many colors, so many things going on that you're just riveted to your screen. Not not even watching your phone, not because you're. We always are used to watching our phone, but you're captivated by the moving images, and it's amazing, the colors and everything. So it's always one of my favorite race of the year, and we kind of got robbed of a great spectacle this time around.
2: Yeah, definitely. I agree. It is just one of those races where everything seems to work. Like you say, I mean, it's not really the the track. I mean, the, the track itself is okay. I mean, it's pretty good for for street circuit when uh, you look at some of the other ones that they've uh, used over the year. But when you kind of piece everything together, the exotic location, the the circuit, the timing, the lighting, the architecture, you take all those things together and you, you do that, you, you have that race go at night. It just works. And for me, it's one of the... Uh, most enjoyable races to watch of the entire year and like you say I mean it's one of my favorite races as well and once Vettel was out and Raikkonen was out and Verstappen you just had to know what that track being as wet and greasy as it was to start the race that that was going to be just the sort of uh, conditions that uh, favor Max Verstappen so for all of it to go and then to start the race behind the safety car I guess half a lap later, instead of uh, having it at at, uh, at the start, there it really took away everything, and it was processional. You just kind of found yourself really jumping forward. I found myself uh, just skipping ahead through the laps, and it was uh, it was very uh, anticlimactic. Full
1: I did the same. <laughs> well, let's be honest with the listeners here. I did use my thirty seconds jump forward button on my remote a few times watching the race on DVR.
2: Well, the one incident that I did have to watch a couple of times was when Marcus Erickson spun out on the bridge there. And I still, to this point in time, cannot figure out how he managed to park his car backwards on an otherwise deceptively straight piece of, uh, of circuit but of course the conditions had uh, had a lot to do to, to to that but there of course were many other interesting things going in and around Formula 1 and in the race itself of course like you were saying that uh, there were many very interesting uh, uh, play, uh, people that finished the race in places that we don't usually see I, I mixed up uh, Ricardo and Botas uh, earlier but it was uh, Ricardo who got second, yeah. Botas third and then Carlos Sainz career high fourth which uh, was that uh, was pepper, fantastic yeah. yeah and then another solid fifth place for sergio perez and jolian palmer, palmer. Mister, i
1: don't have a car next year mister all right Renault, you decided to go with somebody else what about me what about jolian
2: yeah that that's a great result i mean obviously the guy's been under fire basically for the entire year this year last year i think obviously being a rebranded uh, caterer or sorry lotus i, I was still get the two former teams mixed up uh, even now. But yeah, I mean, uh, it it was kind of... I guess a season in transition for them, but this year everything is uh, their own. It's their own car, and he just, for one reason or another, hasn't been able to pull it off. When he's had a good car, he just hasn't been able to manage the results. And then you have uh, incidents like at the British Grand Prix where the car lets him down on the formation lap of all things. So it's been a long time coming for Julian to get a finish in the points and to finish as high as six is is really good for him. Whether or not he's done enough, this past race or this entire season to get a spot for 2018 that oh, remains no. to be seen obviously uh, yeah i think not
1: <laughs> uh not for renault for sure no no definitely uh, not
2: with renault but you can often wonder are,
1: well, like the seats are getting filled now like mm-hmm. there might be might be one in williams but julian palmer doesn't come with the same type of money as a nico Hulkenberg or as a lance stroll and Lance Stroll's been doing really yeah. well. Like, we're not even talking about it, but Lance Stroll's been very close to Massa not beating Massa on a regular basis now. And he's only three points behind Massa in the Drivers' Championship. And he's slowly but surely uh, becoming more mature in the Williams car. And he's starting to be, like, getting, like, good performance out of the car. I wouldn't be surprised if next year, like, he beats Massa on a regular basis, who... If it's not Mazda, it might be another driver, but I don't see Julian Palmer going there. So, we'll see. There might be seats available maybe in Sauber. We'll see if they go come back with uh, Ericsson and and uh, Verline. But uh, where else will Palmer like land?
2: Well, that's a great question. And I believe that even Robert Kubica might be testing for Williams. So I would think that what with the names Palmer and Kubica getting kind of tossed up and around all the time uh, this year, uh, obviously, Robert uh, did a couple of tests with uh, Renault earlier this summer and tested very well that uh, I was a little bit surprised that uh, he didn't end up getting that seat for for 2018 because there there were so many positive things that were said by the Renault people themselves but I suppose all the the backroom machinations and conspiracies or whatever you want to call it what well, the whole Honda McLaren divorce and the the whole Renault switch and then the Honda switch to Toro Rosso and then the science loan deal to Renault for for next year left jo- Julian Palmer out uh, in the woods losing his seat there and then uh, I guess uh, to certain extent Robert Kubica found himself standing when the music went off uh, without a chair to sit in but it's a great question whether or not Felipe Massa is going to come back for Williams in 2017 it sounds like he still wants to race in Formula One and he'd still welcome uh, that opportunity but just going back to Lance Stroll I totally agree what you're saying that uh, that that he's gotten better and better over the year obviously at the start of the season the gap between Massa and Stroll was fairly large but when you look and compare them over i guess the at least the second half of the season maybe after the first third of the season if you want to go back uh, even that far that the gap got uh, closer and closer and closer and it's interesting too when you see that maybe Massa came out just a little bit on top in this race or in that qualifying session or whatever but sometimes uh, people will say well you look but uh, strolls way down but uh, if you look felipe wasn't really all that much higher so i guess that really is more an indication of how good the car is but i mean if you compare them head to head as drivers i mean strolls really caught up over the course of the season and so just like you say I expect that if these two guys are racing together at Williams next year I think that uh, Lance has every ch- um, chance and opportunity to equal or even better Felipe Massa next year
1: let's not forget his bad luck at the beginning of the season too where yep. he was the recipient of random cars flying by and hitting him and landing in the, the gravel pit you know we've yep. seen this happen earlier this season for Lance Stroll, and that was a shame. Now, uh, it was funny. I was watching a French TV show last night, Mark. Uh, it was on RDS, and it was called... Uh, it's a round Table show, all right? And it was four drivers with Didier Scranton. Didier Cranon famously always drives in Formula 1600, and he's a TV host. He does NASCAR and other other shows. But at the table, you had Patrick Carpentier, Alex Tagliani, Andrew Ranger, and Richard Spenard. Uh, four maybe not Mount Rushmore because you need maybe they'll another a few other <laughs> one, but four great names in racing in Quebec's history, and they were talking about how you're you're looking at all those drivers and you're looking at everything that's going on and it, it is a lot about money it's a lot about uh, but they're missing still that uh, that fun and passion aspect and I was looking at it and it was fascinating to me when you're hearing drivers talk about the potential of cars and everything but it, it's not that difference and they were advocating cars closer to each other than the best car and cars like they wanted the gap between cars to be similar so you see the best driver and it was interesting how they treated more as a sport than as car guys. anyways i don't i forgot where i was going with this but it was a fun <laughs> to watch
2: yeah, well, it's really interesting when uh, you see drivers uh, sitting down and kind of kind of talking about it uh, from from their own experience. It'd be interesting to see what sort of suggestions that they'd have to level the playing field in Formula One. We were talking, I believe it was just as recently as last week, about what was it the proposed hundred and fifty million dollar salary cap
1: on developments and yes, and the, basically was the a budget owner of cap. Force India that was yeah. talking about the his preferred number for maybe a salary cap in Formula One, which What kind of level the playing field?
2: Well, I mean, you you take one thing uh, as well that uh, you see in CART where everybody has like the same chassis and then, you know, you, you kind of go from there. It's just like which bits you bolt onto it. Uh, but I, I think what makes Formula One unique is that you just basically have each manufacturer, each team, they build their own chassis. And of course, you have a, a lot of teams like Force India, Williams, and uh, McLaren. They have like, uh, obviously, customer engines. There aren't really too many teams in the sport besides Ferrari and Mercedes that are building their own engines but and, and chassis as it is but I think that's what makes the sport unique and I know that there was even that uh, debate last year ahead of the season what with Haas coming in it was basically uh, criticized by some people that it was almost a, a Ferrari knockoff what with um, the the way that the rules are set up not only and do they have a Ferrari engine in it? But a lot of the components in the car are Ferrari. But I mean, at the end of the day, I think that's what makes Formula One unique is the the fact that even though that Haas has a lot of uh, Ferrari components and an engine in it, the rest of it is their own design. And that's what sets them apart. I mean, gone are the days of uh, teams fielding multiple cars. I mean, they they don't even have the uh, the, the spare cars anymore, but yeah, I Ville, like it.
1: The famous mule, the mule yeah. in French well uh, that's a great segue mark to talking about how in uh, we've talked about it in the preview show but the, the Honda McLaren split and we're seeing the the aftermath now when it's yes it, there's a famous image in the beginning of the end of the qualifying where you see Honda people talking to McLaren people oh they're laughing and making jokes and shaking hands yeah yeah no behind the scenes nobody's happy nobody's happy with the <laughs> turn out of this and um, According to Honda, McLaren struggled to adapt to the change. They struggled to adapt maybe their chassis and everything surrounding the Honda parts to maybe get the most amount of potential. So Honda still willing to die on the hill that they think their parts were better than output. And McLaren are always and were willing to die on that hill a long time ago saying the Honda engine was just not good enough.
2: Yeah, I thought that was a, a very interesting comment that was uh, made uh, by by Honda's uh, engine chief uh, massage I'm going to try and say this prop- uh, properly, but I'll just go with his last name uh, Yamamoto. Yeah. Masashi basically- Yamamoto. Yes, I. You know, before we actually did the show, I practiced this a couple of times, and when it came down to crunch moment, I still messed it up. But yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting how he he worded it, and he uh, compared. Uh, McLaren as a, a sophisticated res- or French cuisine and then compared them to Toro Rosso, a team that he described as a delicious homemade stew and a growing company that would be more open to change. And it, just sort of reading bet- between the lines there from uh, Yamamoto that perhaps what he's saying that uh, that the McLaren isn't open to change or isn't as flexible kind of made me feel like that one comment yeah. that you hear from people sometimes is like, well, I work for a company and my boss wants us to do it this way because we've always done it this way and this way works and regardless if you can find some efficiencies or some improvements in in making widgets or whatever that company does that was what I took away from from that comment uh, by, by Yamamoto so it will be uh, okay. quite interesting to see what happens when they're at uh, at Toro Rosso. next year obviously a team that that it's kind of well, obviously a mid-table team, and, and you know they're they're getting an equally big engine engine manufacturer in the form of Honda after losing Renault engines. So we'll we'll see whether or not Honda can actually take that step forward uh, with the, if they have a team or, or a partner that's uh, more I don't know more flexible and, yeah. and and willing to work with them.
1: We're talking about Formula One. Formula One Mm -hmm. is French cuisine. Formula One is gastronomy. Formula One is molecular gastronomy where everything is complicated, but everything turns out perfect because you take millions of hours to engineer everything. That's what Mm -hmm. it's all about. Honda, if you want to eat your stew and maybe your burgers and your fries and your milkshake, stay in IndyCar. Stay where you belong. Stay where you're performance. Stay where you're good at. You want to move to Formula One? You have to adapt, not the other way around.
2: Well, yeah, and I mean, I think that's the, the the fact that they're still in Formula One, and the fact that they're uh, now supplying Toro Rosso for 2018 is much as political as anything else, because uh, Honda is obviously a big manufacturer, not uh, just of uh, of racing engines and cars and things like that, but obviously well, as Japanese. for for road cars, yeah, yeah. it's very Japanese.
1: Yeah, it's but... just sorry, it's going to sound terrible, and I don't mean to offend no one while saying this, but in uh, from what I understand, and it might I might be wrong but especially in the corporate world of Jap- Japan corporate world admitting failure and quitting is not an option
2: well not only that i mean it's uh, th- that's obviously uh, some, probably a lot of it about is uh, is saving face for honda they don't want to to look bad uh, after they've spent so many years and uh, obviously a lot of money with this engine program and to to walk away after their uh, you know, lack of success to put it nicely with the McLaren would just not look good for them. I mean, you, you go back, it's not really all that long ago that, that Honda stopped, pulled the plug on their own works team, which became Braun GP, which won a world championship in their one and only season as a manufacturer, which was then bought out and is now the Mercedes team. So you you look at that, I mean, they, they don't have a great track record in the sport recently at, at any rate. And I, I know that from Remember reading
1: Remember yep. Bar Honda? How yeah. that was like. We should know. We should have known. We should have known. We should have seen it, right? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, ah, shame on you. Fool me three times, shame on me, and <laughs> shame on us for believing Honda could bring it this time around. The seventies are a long, long time away. Like it's a long time, it's long, far gone.
2: Yeah, definitely, and it's. I, I'm skeptical. I'll be honest. I'm skeptical whether or not uh, they they can uh, get things better with uh, with Toro. Rosso. Yeah, I I really doubt that they will. But you never know. Well, and uh, you know
1: what the the weird thing is: listening to Christian Horner talking about this for 2018, it doesn't really change anything. But for 2019, uh, they would not have a Renault engine for Red Bull. So they'll be needing a new manufacturer. So they might need to go with Honda. What if Honda destroys Renault? Well, sorry, uh, destroys Red Bull after destroying McLaren. You know that's in the very, very possible future. And yes, there's other option, and there's big names like Porsche and Aston Martin that are maybe thinking of producing engine for the 2020 season and the future after that. But you have to get there, and you, yes, 2018 is assured, but 2019. What about Red Bull? Because of this deal and the fact that uh, Renault can necessarily supply uh number one team competing with Renault at that level past 2018, which that was their, the original plan when they decided to take over Lotus, it would, becomes a complicated situation, and Red Bull will have to find a way to either make... Honda, with also works, so they have a good relationship with them, and then Honda can supply good engines, which they don't have yet, but maybe they will at that point, to Red Bull, but if not, Red Bull can be left in a conundrum in for the 2019 season.
2: And it's interesting too, like you're saying with uh, manufacturers like Porsche on the uh, on the skirts uh, of Formula One, just kind of looking in and maybe considering jumping in at some point, I think we'll really get an indication how serious they are as once they finally decide on what the post-2020 engine regulations are going to look like and whether or not it's going to be attractive uh, for some of these other uh, big manufacturers to come into the sport in one capacity or another as either an engine supplier or actually launch their own, uh, own team. So, so until then, it's it's a bit of a question, but you, you raise a very good point, what with Toro Rosso getting the Hondas and uh, Red Bull's own engine supply conundrum issues or whatever it might be in the, in the next couple of years is that uh, with having them supplying Toro Rosso gives them the opportunity to get a really good look at the situation and find out what's going on almost from the inside obviously the uh, Toro Rosso is uh, Red Bull's junior team so there's going to be a lot of back and forth between them even though they're they're, they're fairly uh, freestanding and whatnot but it, uh, uh, it yeah, does, but does, does get them. Yeah but let me
1: tell you something there's probably a back end Somewhere where Christian Horner will get every single data he wants in real time.
2: Oh I'm sure that uh, that he probably will and then that way they can make an informed decision but it's uh if you kind of look back in the last couple of years I mean they were have not really been all that happy with the Renault engines what, what was it 2014 or 2015 I think they were basically threatening to pull out a formula One because the Renault engine wasn't good enough but which seemed like a little bit extreme just because uh, that one engine wasn't delivering the goods why would you pull the plug on the entire program why wouldn't you just try to go and get to a different one yeah, but
1: like, you know maybe Mr. Matashish and how he goes with negotiating and when he's not happy. You never know. Like he pulled the plug on things way quicker than he could with Red Bull. He pulled the plug on his plane series quick enough when he was tired of it. So you never know what's going to happen with Red Bull when you look at it in a long time. And it was always possible as well, Red Bull, that it could could become a team that he sells or another sponsor comes in to replace Red Bull. It never was assured that Red Bull would be Red Bull forever. Yeah,
2: well, I, I was looking back just to uh, the last, I, I think within the last week at some of the evolution of the, the, the teams. I mean, Formula One teams aren't really a, a franchise as you might see in like North American sports and... Yeah, it's like a charter. I mean, because you look at, say, uh, like in the NFL or the NBA, the NHL, etc., you basically have a franchise and sometimes they get moved from city to city, but you still have like the same owners. But I was kind of uh, looking back. Okay, well, the evolution of Mercedes, I just kind of like touched on it. I mean, if you kind of go back through the years, go back from before Mercedes to Braun to Honda, back even further, it was Bar and before that it was, it was,
1: before it was nothing, yeah.
2: Yeah, well, no, before that, it was Tyrrell racing, oh, which is cool. Yeah. It uh, guess guess that's a, yeah. Yes, it's true which is uh, I mean was a team that was iconic in the 1970s. I mean that's where Jackie Stewart won his three world titles so but I mean it, it, it's different in that sense because uh, well I, I guess maybe with the with uh, with Braun you know being taken over by uh, Mercedes there was a lot of the people there and I know that that Braun kept a lot of the people from Honda and it kind of morphed uh, from there but uh, it's kind of interesting how you see it uh, change through the years but who knows Mark, what uh, what could happen with uh, with Red Bull I, I hope they don't pull the plug but go ahead yeah, Kevin sorry
1: sorry i just had a flash <laughs> an idea and i have to share it with you right now on air this off season you know what we need to do at least once a retro show where we take a grand prix of maybe our childhood or maybe from the 70s or the 80s and if one that we can watch and we can tell our listeners in advance and we watch a grand prix and we talk about that grand prix i think it could be a great way to fill uh, the gap this winter
2: I think that's a great idea. And uh, it's funny you should mention that because I was thinking that when I, when I was going back and just to rewatching some of the Singapore Grand Prix last weekend and uh, the, the whole first corner incident I was thinking when was the last time I saw something like that happen and then I thought back to the 1989 Japanese Grand Prix when I, I watched that as a kid you know and when, uh, when Senna and Prost collided at the chicane and <laughs> took each other out of the race I mean a completely different uh, set of uh, circumstances but that was Senna just basically shutting the door and not letting Prost by and uh, therefore basically sealing his own world championship it wasn't I, I mean it, it was intentional compared to unintentional with uh with uh, with Raikkonen and, and Vettel but I think that's a great idea and that uh, that Grand Prix that 1989 uh, Japanese Grand Prix that's one I'd love to go back so if if I get to pick one I think I'm going to pick that one
1: and if the listeners have any suggestions f one podcast podcastgmailcom and let us know your suggestions. Which Grand Prix should we review in the off season? But there's still a long ways to go, Mark, before we get to the off season. You know, we we talked about Red Bull and Renault. It's actually a TAG Heuer branded engine, and uh, he kind of he meeting Christian Horner kind of let things slip in the weekend before the actual announcement, saying, uh, "Yeah, our partnership with Aston Martin is probably going to grow. Uh, we'll talk about it more." In the next few days and now it's been kind of announced that Aston Martin will be the name of the Renault Tagged Engine. So it will be Red Bull Aston Martin.
2: Well, that's a very interesting. I mean, they, they do have this sponsorship agreement with them right now, but as it stands, it's just a little tiny Aston Martin badge right at the front of the uh, the, the nose on the Red Bull. So for them to actually take a bigger role is uh, is quite interesting to, to see, and it makes me really wonder what their, their long-term plans are in Formula 1. You were saying uh, a little bit earlier that maybe uh, they're, they're looking at it in the, in the future. Yeah, but and it's too it would early be...
1: for 2019. That's why there's a yeah. problem. That's why even Christian Horner, when you were asked by, by Sky Sports, He was noncommittal for 2019 in many different aspects.
2: Yeah. Well, we let, let's hope that they, uh, they, they do something. I, I remember watching, uh, a, a DTM race at Hockenheim uh, years ago and, uh, the, uh, Aston Martin were there as well. And it was just, uh, it was fantastic to watch. So that's a, a mark that uh, you'd love to see in, uh, in a different racing series. And it'd be uh, nice to see them take a more prominent role in Formula One. And that's why I also think it's interesting too that, uh, that Porsche keeps, uh, their name keeps getting tossed around as well. So you, you take some of these rumors like Aston Martin and Porsche and uh, what was it last week or the week before that uh, up to 40 potential venues have put uh, sort of reached out uh, to Liberty Media to host a grand prix it's just that now we're we're at least a, almost a year removed from the uh, the Acklestone era just how the interest in the sport from from outside is uh, starting to really sort of become more noticeable and uh, we we didn't really see that as much in in recent years and and then you also look with uh, how they've uh, really upped their, their social media game and just uh, how already in the first year, I mean, they're, they're, small steps. I mean, obviously it hasn't grown into this big juggernaut and uh, really have became become more prominent on the world sporting scene but uh, already we're seeing this uh, the 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 liberty media effect and uh we'll, we'll see where it goes from here wh- whether or not uh, they're they're going to get more people vying for grand prix how many more teams might potentially join formula ones how many might actually potentially leave or how many new engine manufacturers uh, would come in but it seems for once we're, we're talking about formula one for the right reasons for for the stuff
1: that's going on off the track <laughs> it's not about one guy trying to put more money in his pocket it's about maybe a corporation that paid a big price for it now they're trying to make it work for their profit yes but to make it what they think it deserves to be at this point too Mm -hmm.
2: well i mean uh, obviously i think uh being based in north america like we are the one big step that they need to do over here is make the sport more prominent and get people interested especially in the united states you know what i I think it's
1: easy just Make F1 look like NASCAR's. Like, leave it as open wheel, like the same cars, but just paint schemes. Like, make it like NASCAR. You make it like. I know there's a lot of sponsors, but it's the way that they're put is all differently. I don't know. There's something to be said there. I don't know. I keep being fascinated, Mark, by how NASCAR is popular in the state and how once you start to pay attention, it's a fascinating sport, totally different motorsport than. Formula One and Open Wheel, but it's fascinating how it is so popular in a way that Formula One dreams to be. Like week in, week out, yeah, it's not it's a long season and you have races where there's not a lot of people show up, but you have a hundred thousands like of fans showing up many times throughout the season, and it's kind of a goal that Formula One wants for the race that they do in the United States, which for years and years failed to reach the scale of a NASCAR event.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's funny too, uh, I was just thinking when you were talking about uh, make them uh, look more like NASCAR, and the first thing that immediately popped into my head is that I might not know a lot about NASCAR, but if I watch a NASCAR race, it's immediately obvious to me which car is being driven by who, because it has this huge number painted on the roof. So it's fairly easy to figure out which driver is which, but I mean, only this year and only halfway through the year did Formula One introduce these new rules for, for numbers or identification on the cars and before I mean you had like the Red Bull that had this little tiny number for either Verstappen or Ricardo on the side of the car and it's uh, it's almost impossible to to figure out who's who I mean you basically look at at uh, at whose helmet is sort of poking out the top of the cockpit and if you can tell uh, from the from the color scheme then that, that that's okay but I mean it is so much easier to identify a car in NASCAR just because even within the same team the cars might have the same body but they have a completely different paint scheme, completely different sponsors on it, and it it is so much easier <laughs> to figure out who's who. But, uh, I mean, at I, least Formula just had One... had another
1: idea. Imagine an utopian world where you don't yeah. need sponsors in Formula One, okay? Where the cars and the paint schemes can be just like goalie mask in hockey, just an expression of that person, of that personality, of their likes... And you have Lewis Hamilton with an amazing lion paint scheme on the entire car that looks like it's a lion going across the track. And you have Vettel with, I don't know, it could be Vettel, I don't know. Uh, uh, you have a... Uh, uh, well, he changes his paint scheme
2: on his helmet every week, so... Yeah, so he changes <laughs> I all the time, you but you the have same like, thing on his else, car. But you know what I mean? <laughs>
1: like, you have uh, yeah. Felipe Massa, a panther, or like paint schemes that would reflect their personalities and then fans would fall in love with the paint scheme fans would fall in love with the the iconography and with the perception that it's a star in that car and i think sometimes it's missing and sometimes it's the emphasis on the car and people can't relate to that that's one thing about nascar i think that we always forget it's not about the car it's about the guy who drives it it's always about their name the drive of the the media surrounding NASCAR, it's always about the drivers. There's rivalries. There's drama. And I think Formula One does not need, does not benefit by shying away from it. They benefit from embracing it. And I think limberty media, if there's some uh, ways that they can favor making stars or not necessarily making drama because it's different in open wheel and you can't necessarily have the same type of racing that you have in NASCAR, but... If you just take the core out of it, make it about the drivers, not about the cars.
2: Yeah, I, I do think, uh, just uh, touching on one issue you mentioned there, I think that uh, one thing that they did uh, a couple of years ago with the prior regime was uh, switch to these, um, uh, what do they call it, the personal numbers. So you know that Lewis Hamilton is 44, you know Kimi Raikkonen is number seven, and it's going to change, or it's not going to change each and every uh, year, yeah, as it did in in previous years. The one thing that I do kind of miss from the old numbering system is that you know the world champion got number one, but at least it is easier to follow each and every year, because when you get to the first race of the season. You're not sitting there for the first couple of races trying to remember numbers because it's completely changed from the uh, from the year before. Yeah. So that does help, but yeah, I, I wonder what they could do to make it more about the drivers, like you say, rather than about like the cars and the strategies. And but I guess that that's a, a very Formula One thing. That's why they have two uh, championships that run parallel to each other: the drivers and the constructors championship. Because it is. Um, Excuse me. It's about, uh, both of them. And as, as fans, I think we tend to focus more on uh, the, the driver's championship because we all have our, our own favorite driver. Maybe it is um, a guy that drives for a specific team, or maybe it's just one guy and it doesn't matter if he drives for Ferrari one year and Mercedes the next or McLaren the year after. You know that's always going to be uh the, the the guy that we cheer for but if there's anybody that can pull that off or find a way to make it F- formula one more appealing on that sort of level i think that would be liberty media because that's what their their background is that's what their expertise is and if nobody can figure out a way to do it then i guess <laughs> they they might be the only people that could
1: you need an american superstar to be quite honest too like you need an american driver that's actually good. Actually, wins races in Formula One. If you truly want to, to be in the United States market, let's be honest here.
2: Well, let's just take uh, some sort of like, <clears throat> I don't know, bizarre parallel universe that Lewis Hamilton isn't a Brit but is an American. I mean, he seems to be fairly popular in America. He spends a lot of time there. But if he was actually an American driver, I wonder what that would do for Formula
1: One in the States. <laughs> like Lewis I... Hamilton can walk in Paducah, Kentucky and walk in the middle of the mall and nobody will recognize him. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. You need like a superstar that transcends that. Transcend that to make Formula One big in the United States and needs to be an American. He never achieved that status as Lewis Hamilton from Britain.
2: Yeah, that's why I sort of just speculating what he could have done for the sport if he was an American and, yeah, and yeah, not yeah, a no, Brit. Not. Yeah, but that, that's kind of like fascinating. I mean... The only American driver that's been in Formula One recently was Alex Rossi, who got like what was it, a couple of races for mana racing. What was it the year before last? Yeah, so I right. mean I mean it's, I mean, it's not even it a competitive a team. A exactly, right? So we we need somebody kind of like the modern version, I think, of like Mario Andretti, who like, has no, was, even more Imagine yeah, Michael like,
1: Schumacher, like a Michael Schumacher type of career. If he's yeah. an American, trust me, Formula One's gonna be a lot more popular than it is now.
2: Oh, I I totally agree with you, Kevin. Uh, That would uh, propel the sport to all new heights in the States. I have uh, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, I I think that whatever would happen there would be mirrored here in Canada to a certain extent, too. uh, I I mean, we have uh, Lance who's in the sport now, but I mean, most people, unless you're a, a, a Formula One fan, are not going to know who Lance Stroll is. And I think a lot of casual people might know the name Villeneuve. Um, maybe not so much because of Jacques, but the, I mean, I'm, I'm just sort of talking cool. about casual yeah. people on the street. I mean, most uh, motor racing fans are going to know that both uh, Jacques and Gilles Villeneuve were in Formula One, and then Jacques won the the Formula One World Championship in 1997. But that's kind of like one of those names that people seem to know, but sometimes maybe they don't know or really understand what uh, what it really means. But uh, we need a, another good driver that has prominence here as well, because uh, you kind of go back 20 years, 15 years when Jacques was in Formula One and it was talked about a lot more. And since he left, it really has kind of fallen off the map here a little bit. So who knows uh, what, what Lance Stroll can do with that? I mean, it's a lot yeah, to ask of a yeah. guy who's only 18 and only just joined the <laughs> sport this year, but who knows? But winning right? goes a
1: long way. That's what I'm saying. Winning goes a long way. That's what's needed.
2: Yeah, that that's true. And he came oh so close and uh, finishing second at Azerbaijan. But that, that awful mean Valtteri Botas pipped him right at the very end to take yeah, second third, place. Yeah, for, for second, for third, yeah. Yeah, that cool. Was close. Well, Kevin, I think that's a good place to wrap it up this week. Uh, before we go, what's going on the network
1: this week? Uh, soccer today, Monday to Friday. A lot of the talk of the NASL this week, if you are a soccer fan and you're in the well, United States and North American scene. You probably heard about uh, the North American Soccer League suing USSF. We had a special guest this week on the show to talk about this. A big win for the Montreal Impact tonight against Toronto. So I kind of have to to, to to say it in Toronto. So we'll talk about this all week long on Soccer Today. And you can find every show we do on SportsPodcastingNetwork.com and follow me on Twitter at Kev Larme as well on Facebook.
2: Very cool. And of course, you can follow this show on Twitter at Scudria F1 Pod. And that's it. That's a wrap. We'll be back again this time next week and we'll be talking about the Malaysian Grand Prix. And then after that, we are going to be counting down the races somewhat quickly but we'll not try and get uh, ahead of ourselves let's try and enjoy them each and every one at a time because before you know it it will be the off season and like you say uh we will be looking for things to do but before then there is plenty of formula one uh, racing to come and of course the big question on everyone's mind at the moment is whether or not sebastian vettel can pull back those points and maybe give lewis a bit of run for his money but until then that's a wrap and we'll catch you again this time next week
0: Thanks for listening to the Skidaria F1 Podcast If you want to get the show notes for this episode Then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at
1: gmail.com You were listening to SPN The Sports Podcasting Network Visit us sportspodcastingnetwork.com